Hey everyone, and welcome back to the Magic Story Podcast. I'm your host, Natalie. And I'm your other host, Harless. The Magic Story Podcast recaps the fiction story of Magic the Gathering with their own bits of flavor text along the way. We have now journeyed through the main story, and we promised we would return with Miguel in a video to dive even deeper into the characters, the lore, the plane, everything we just explored. And so we are back. And we are here with Miguel Lopez and Ovidio Cartagena. Join us as we head into the multiverse. Bueno, gracias. Thank you for having us again. It's uh, really nice to be chatting. We always get along. So we had a little warm up before the episode proper. So I feel like a little bit more comfortable now. <laughs> yeah, likewise. It's great to be back. Looking forward to talking more about Ixalan. Well, we are so glad you're back with us, Miguel, in a video. Last time you were on the podcast, it was just such an amazing journey into the origins of Ixalan, and we got to find out some deeper lore behind the plane. And I am really excited to take that just so much further today, because now we know the story and what happens, and there are pieces of the story we can now just dig into and explain a little bit further. So today, as I often do, I want to start by reading the first line of the story. As Quint planeswalked from a dimly lit stone corridor into leaf-dappled sunshine, the heat slapped him like a moist towel. And the reason I wanted to read that sentence is that it reveals to us that Quint did, in fact, planeswalk away from Strixhaven during March of the Machine, as Liliana had assumed. And Quint is just such a lovely character. So, Miguel, I'm really curious. Were you excited to explore Quint's story further? Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's great to to be able to get to be on you know, the team that gets to be on the set that, that gets to define, uh, you know, uh, gets to show a, a brand new Planeswalker, A, and then their first big adventure. So as as a fan of Quint, it's cool to, 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 to get to officially confirm that he is, you know, one of our newest Planeswalkers, and then to, you know, have him in the set and in the story as well. It was a lot of fun. And I, I believe the line is, I've literally felt that when I step off the plane sometimes. Mm -hmm. When we're going back home. Yes. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> and Ovidio, I'm really curious about the design of Quintorius because he does look a little bit different now that he's a planeswalker. What was important to get right with Quint's design? So he's graduated of sorts, not officially, I will say. Um, but he's he's moved on from being a student to being self-driven. Quint's had a checkered experience as a, as a student in Strixhaven and uh, we wanted to have him be but many things at the same time. Um, he's based on, of course, like characters we know and love. Quint is an archaeologist, a historian. Um, there's people like Quint in real life. I've met many who want to do best by the cultures they are studying. Um, one of them was my guide in Yaksha many years ago, 11, 11 years ago. Uh, he was an archaeologist as well. So uh, thinking about, thinking on Quint, we wanted to give him a little more action, a little like a shorter jacket, like a bit of a, you know, a, he's an adventurer now. He's like stepped out of the shell and and is now embracing the personality that he, I, I think somewhat didn't happen in the Dragon's Guard. And also, he's he's it didn't happen in school either, you know. So, Quint, in my opinion, was too big for any organization, and that links to that latency in him, that that power that he always had, and we get to see it here for the first time, fully blown. We saw a little bit in March of the Machine, but here it comes out through and through. Yeah, he's grown up a lot. Like mm -hmm. that's that's how I that's how I saw it is that he has he has really started to come into his own um, in in this story. When we saw him in March of the Machine, he was still very much a student. You know, he was, but it, it's, there was something that just kind of transcended into who Quintorius really is as a character, and that was just so exciting to see. Um, and speaking of Quint, he he really has a self reflective moment in the story when 
Waita challenges him on wanting to be the one to tell the stories of Ixalan because, you know, he himself is not from the culture. And he ultimately realizes that he shouldn't be the one to tell these stories. Can can you speak to that? Like that moment in the story was so powerful. Yeah, sure. Um, I can talk about one. Uh, you know, it's it's interesting. I think that that Valerie, the author, does a really great job of putting out sort of a, a rhetorical difference between like telling, uh, being the one to tell the story and being the one to to sort of document it or or, or relay it. Um, because I think it's like it's in that that act of telling that that you know it can it can make like i think there's room for cross-cultural storytelling first off but but there's like a danger that can creep in when there is like a clear power imbalance between the source of the story and the the person who's who's recounting it right the teller of the story versus the person who's who's recounting it you know in these like unequal relationships i think there's always opportunities for the person telling it to twist the story either like intentionally or unintentionally to to serve ends that can harm the source culture um, certainly in our world, right? Like, you know, with like, there's North American myth making with regards to, like Native Americans or like Britain holding artifacts of, of existing cultures, essentially like hostage in their museums. Right. Um, there's like erasure that can happen there. There's this imperial myth making that can, that can structure cultures in the, into that hierarchy of like core and periphery. Um, like, uh, uh so it like, having that conversation in, in the text of a magic story is really, really difficult. There's not a lot of um, space for that, but I think that like is, is sort of the key rhetorical distinction. And to be clear, this is something that like that rhetorical distinction is something that Valerie wrote up, right? Um, the, our authors are largely in control of what they write in their text besides like sort of strict canon or, or, or lower adherence to the world building. Um, and I think she tapped into something really important there, right? Like that is the distinction between um you know, that that is is playing in the danger there the the sort of distinction between who gets to 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 tell the story and who gets to uh and all the baggage that, that carries with it and who uh um might not be the person to tell it but can be a person who can relay it and who can document it and 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 recount it and the power dynamics in uh, in Excellent are much different right like it, yeah. you have you have mm -hmm. um Bartolomé de las Casas, his relationship with the Maya Quiche, where it was very different than the relationship that Quint has with the with the Sun Empire. Yeah. Um, there's there's less of an agenda there, right? The the religious component is mm -hmm. not on Quint's side here, like it was when when some of the Hopi myths were translated, or when the Popol Vuh was uh, transcribed, or I will say written down. Mm -hmm. um so there's there's room to ask those questions but fortunately within the context of the story there's no economic yeah or martial disparity yeah between the, the tellers there's a lot more safety in i think in handling it in in this situation in this context when uh, quince isn't the at the head of a colonizing force you know um nope yeah so yeah. Yeah. My next my next thing that I wanted to talk about in relation to Quint before we before we moved on to Waita, because I do really want to talk about Waita, yeah. is he was on the search for the coin empire and he stumbles upon something in Colony's End. I think we're all very curious as to whether he found the answers or whether he found something else entirely. Like it's possible that he opened up something far more dangerous in, in Ixalan than we can ever imagine. Um I like I had so many questions at the end of that scene. Uh yeah, I so so Quint's in the Coin Empire. Um yeah, he's he's found a thread. He's been looking at scraps, at ghosts, at um bits of faded text here and there that all point towards something. Um what he's found at Colony's End, what he has stumbled into and potentially awoken there is uh the first real concrete clue as as to what the coin empire is um some eagle-eyed players out there may have caught a familiar name in the flavor text of some of the cards uh in this set that that point uh even even more uh clearly to what the coin empire could be uh could be found in um but yeah he's found something there it's scary and we see the <laughs> remnants of those bodies in the the swamp card by adam paquette 
Yeah. And some of the stuff that um what's the name of that land that has a shark in it? Rest Restless? Is it Restless? Yeah. I, I remember the working name of it, but yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah they always change the name <laughs> they change on us. The names on us. <laughs> but um, but yeah, there's there's a little some remnants there of uh, armor and bone. Yeah. So if you have a you're you're sharp, you're gonna notice what doesn't belong there, right? And, and for for like real lore heads, for the real Vorthos out there who have that moment of like, but wait, isn't that name that was in the flavor text like, isn't that like they're they're supposed to be from here? How do they like? How is this thing? What? How does that match up to what Quint thinks that they are? Yes, <laughs> that's a good question to be asking. Uh, stay tuned. Hopefully, we'll answer it. So cryptic. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> One of the things that I love so much about the moment where Quint stumbles upon these tanks is that his clumsiness once again has led him to a discovery (laughs) like he kind of leans on the tank he kind of has that moment where he's like oops (laughs) i've done it again and i just i loved that bit of flavor because it made me feel like while quint has grown he's still the same quint that we knew back in strixhaven it's so quint yeah yeah <laughs> yeah there's a bit of uh the old um role-playing i was a um fiction writer and then, and then design i designed role-playing games and there's that that theory of um failing forward right that that carries through in, in this storytelling as well so no no dead ends basically now how waita grew as a character throughout the story was really inspiring and I'm curious where we see her going at the end of the Lost Caverns of Ixalan. I hope we're not done with Waita. I, I really love her. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I, you know, one of the, the the most difficult things about being on the world building and, and creative side is that we're not always in charge of where our story goes. And I am, I speaking for myself, I uh, can't speak for a video, I fall in love too easily with the worlds that I get to help work on and the characters that, that populate them. So like, I really want to see uh, Waita return. Um, a, a lot of my world building, I try to do set threads and set um, threads for for us to pick up on later in a return. So I think that like, you know, Waita, in the hypothetical Ixalan 3, uh, if she returns, um, she has a pretty complicated relationship with the Sun Empire and, and, and its titles, right? Like she, yeah. the first time we ever saw her was actually in the very first Ixalan. She's a, she's a kid who uh, idolizes Watley and wants to become the next warrior poet. In between then and now, there's been a Frexian invasion um, uh, and, uh, you know, ongoing conflict with, um, with, the, with the Legion of Dusk. And the child that, uh, Waita, like, to be clear, I think she's canonically like 16 or 17 right now. So she's still a kid. She's still super young. Yeah. She has mm-hmm. been mm-hmm. lived, uh, uh, forced into living a, a, a lot of life between when we last saw her and, and now the sort of the the scales have dropped from her eyes so to speak right unfortunately but she's she's survived she's grown through them right like her view of the world um the sun empire and and the multiverse because she knows of the multiverse now has been you know irrevocably changed by those recent historical events on on Ixalan and what like to her once seemed assured now no longer is um, in her backstory, I'm not sure how much of it, I don't recall how much of it made it on the page, but in her backstory, she, you know, uh, uh, she at, at one point, very young, probably 12, 13 years old, um, flees uh, uh, the Sun Empire and takes up a post on a ship on the Brazen Coalition and spends years, you know, sailing, right? Um, she she returns to Ixalan uh, because she, I think like a lot of, um, a lot of other people uh, in the, like, uh, Latin American diaspora, um, the, that sort of like flight from Latino America, uh, because of like economic and uh, a political catastrophe, is is like not altogether uncommon. Either having you know they may have experienced their parents, my my dad, uh, or or grandparents may have experienced that, and then there is you know I think this inexorable and this in e diaspora too like inexorable feeling of wanting to return right white gets to do that and she returns also with that with that perspective of one who left right so sorry i'm this is a long answer but i think like to say waita waita at one point wanted to be the the, the next warrior poet mm-hmm. she might now and in the next time we see her no longer want to be the warrior poet 
But the one constant that has remained true is that she is seen as a child and then now as a young adult, um, her hero, Watley, has remained consistent as as Watley yeah. has, has grown. Um, so she may no longer in the next one want to be the warrior poet, want to be that grand servant of the empire, but she 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 might want to be more like Watley and, and follow that road where where the where the warrior poet goes. Which is so fascinating, right? Like she sees past the she sees like past the glamour of being a warrior poet now. She sees what the reality of that is and mm-hmm. is really having to contend with that and decide what she does want for herself at the end of the story. And I mean, who can't who can't relate to figuring out like what do I what am I gonna be? What am I gonna do? Mm-hmm. And having your heroes kind of you know, our heroes don't always um life isn't always what we think it's gonna be. Our heroes aren't always exactly what we think they're gonna be. And so it was really fascinating to kind of see her go through that. And that was actually my next question was, is she, does she still want to be a warrior poet? So you already you already answered it. <laughs> there we go. Efficiency. But in the case of um in the case of White Tattoo was well, I remember when we were designing White Tattoo, it was mm-hmm. like yeah, put some pirate stuff on her, mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> and, and uh, we had to contend with uh with the bare bones of a character that hadn't been fully fleshed out. I remember with Ryan Ryan Pankos, yeah. he he came in and helped us design some of the legends. But something important to note is that is how conflict and conflict and disillusion play into worldview at a formative stage. Yeah, if things had remained stable. Waita probably would have thought differently when mm. things work out for you. And that's just really important to realize. Kaparokti is an example of that. Mm-hmm. When things mm-hmm. work out for you, you have stronger beliefs in the system that upheld you. When the system that was supposed to uphold you doesn't, you go in, you reach inside for that strength and, and try to find strengthen your identity and despite loving the elements that nurtured your uh your truths in youth you no longer you no longer keep keep them as sacred that happened like uh, we've talked about this offline but mm-hmm. like that happened to me a lot right like the the the, the civil conflict didn't work out for me <laughs> and and economic situations also didn't work out so of course i saw myself more than anyone else in waita incredibly because not not my favorite visual character but we we did it we really did a lot to uh, waita was layered and her development was layered as well like from concept art to story to card to the situations and reading about her and so on so it uh, the love for waita came up as, as i got to know the character very organic growth just like the the growth of becoming yourself is right and so that's probably why because i I've, I've done the same thing i've tried to reach inside i've i i preserved the love for what i want for for what i uh what i held to be truth in youth but i no longer do uh and and I've opened to several other cultures and languages and ideas and so on, so it it was it was nice working the character in the story. I'd love to see Waita more, mm-hmm. and it was nice getting to getting to finally read the story as a fan. Yeah. So I'm switching tone a little bit because <laughs> I do want to talk about. Our villains that popped up in the very opposite of Waita, <laughs> like yes. our, our villains that popped up in this story as well. Before we jump into that, Natalie, like, can I just say that the villains in this set, like, made me so emotional in in this like way that like in Phyrexia, like, it's so, uh, it was so intense, right? Like the whole way through, and we knew what we were getting into, but like as things got more and more intense on Ixalan, I found myself like you can hear it in the podcast season where I'm just like, Vito is such a meanie. Vito is such oh my God, I'm so frustrated with Vito. Like these characters just became so like frustrating to me because they're so well written. And I just yeah. want to give a quick shout out to Valerie for just writing these insanely good villains 
before we dive into them, because I, I mean, yeah. you really, like I said, you hear it on the podcast. I talk about how frustrated I am with Vito probably 50 times. Um, <laughs> oh, you get like very emotional about it, Harless. Yes. It's great. <laughs> <laughs> and Harless and I talk a lot on on the podcast about how the micro tyrant feels different than Phyrexia. Yeah. Like we had just come off of this Phyrexian invasion that was had a similar sort of takeover mindset, mm. you know, like there's there's threads of the same sort of hive mindedness, so to speak, in the way that the mycotyrant and Phyrexia sees things. Mm -hmm. But the mycotyrant felt even more sinister to me. And that's something that Harless and I hit on a little bit is that, you know, the mycotyrant takes away who you are. You know, like you you aren't even yourself anymore. You kind of turn rotten on the inside and he take like they take who who you are as a, as a person. And you don't even exist as a person anymore, which to me is much scarier. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because we talked um, and, about how Phyrexia essentially like if you are I mean, Ajani is a perfect example. Ajani is such a great warrior mm -hmm. and they really leaned into ma making use of him being a great warrior. So they kind of took this piece of him and they. That was core to him and they elevated it. Whereas with the micro tyrant, it's just wiped. You're just you're literally speaking the same language and words as the 50 people around you because you're completely being mind controlled. So we were just really fascinated by the similarities and the differences. Yeah. Yeah. I you know, the micro tyrant was a really fun um, antagonist to write up. Um, I think the and that was something that like I, I certainly considered like coming off the heels of, of Phyrexia, of, of new Phyrexia. They both kind of deal with, um, with you know, those sort of subjectivity override, mass control, um, collectivist, you know, uh, 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 villains. Um, side note: I'd like to see a collectivist entity that's not a villain in, in Magic right. Story. <laughs> yeah, work yeah. On that in, in the future, that's um, that's really hard on their uh, current ideological conditions. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I have a couple opportunities coming up. Uh, I will talk to you in 2026 and 2027. We'll see if I did a good job. <laughs> All right. Uh, there we go. <laughs> so, okay. So, okay. Back to the micro Back to the present day. Um, I kind of think that the the way I, I thought of it is a, the, the micro tyrant is differs from new Phyrexia because of like two major factors. I think the first is uh, both critical. Um, they have different ideology and, and biology, right? So, on the first point, like unlike Phyrexia, I think that the the micro tyrant is is not a quasi-religious ideological uh, right. expression of a like biomechanical horror. Right? Um, the micro tyrant, mm -hmm. uh, like you know, I, we we stuck Elder on there because I think it's great. I also kind of think that like the micro tyrant is 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 actually a very young being as as a consciousness. Right? It is. Um, it's a it's a it's a gestalt gestalt i can never it's german i can't pronounce that um expression of of an entire species shared consciousness right it's not a hive mind so much as they are right. like a summary mind it's like a like a thought form or or single subjectivity that is manifested from just like the sheer biomass of of um, this network of of mycoids under and now on ixalan right they're not and this is where the, the 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 sort of difference when we slide over to biology, right? They're not motivated by an ideology, right? But a a, a like just a simple overriding biological design, right? Which is consume, reproduce, consume, reproduce, and do it in the most efficient way possible, right? It maybe one relatable, yeah, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. Knife, <laughs> <laughs> my, my Friday night. Um, no, it's it's, <laughs> but it is something that like I think one day. It could become an ideology, right? It could serve as the the sort of material biological basis for an ideology, but right now it, it simply wants to exist, right? So it's going to be not exactly a villain. Yeah, exactly. So, right? so thank like, you from his point, point of view. Yeah. To. It's not. I don't think he's a villain. I think or the, I don't think they're a villain. I think they are an antagonist and a great danger to the. I mean, it's in the backstory, right? It's in the Planeswalker's Guide. It's the reason the core was sealed, right? But it's. The micro tyrant is to me at this stage no more a villain than a virus, right? Um, right. It is just simple biological programming that that uh, can talk, right? It's it, just it's a hoarder. To talk. Yeah, it's it's a hoarder. It's so curious. If, <laughs> yeah, that's if the, I had yeah. that, if I, I had that, that power, curiosity, I would do that. Yeah, <laughs> I take that over curiosity library. was 
so fascinating to me because that was like the moment where it was mm-hmm. like, okay, maybe this isn't like invasive in a way that is malicious, right? right? But like yeah. it's yeah. So so this is what like to me makes the micro tyrant terrifying is that it uh they are curious and they have a a tremendous amount of power and the their curiosity can only be satisfied um in by acquiring knowledge and what's very unfortunate for the rest of us and the rest of the people on Ixalan is that the only way it has to acquire knowledge is through consumption and it consumes yeah. dead things right so it it's imperative uh, is is unable to be reasoned with the way that you know one can reason with the praetor of new phyrexia right uh, mm-hmm. uh, or, and it's it's not vain in the way that other praetors of New Phyrexia was, right? It and it doesn't have rhetoric. It doesn't have rhetoric. It can't be yeah. outsmarted. Yeah. It can't be uh, reasoned with, negotiated with. It, it's tell a person to not breathe, right? That's what you're asking the micro tyrant right. to do when you're like, stop, <laughs> you know? Miguel, I have stop a question. Yeah. How yeah. did the... Uh, I wish there was a whole prequel to this me too <laughs> how did the jaguar folk manage to to broker that balance uh the malamit yeah um there's very few of them left uh they've gotten very good at at stopping um at stopping the micro tyrant right like this is sort of what the the people of the surface are going to need to figure out right which is why i also think like the malamet i love the malamet they they take on this pose as sort of a sort of an antagonistic position i don't again i don't really think they are it's they have been made bitter by their experience of of expulsion um and of constant retreat mm-hmm. uh, uh from and, and constant danger right um yeah it doesn't seem easy to to be a malamet yeah per, like in the in the core like it doesn't seem easy yeah. to live in the core the sh- in general the, sh- and- the short answer though for how the malamet have have survived this is they basically have plot armor right through their glyphs they record stories um they and and, and their their magic is is based on this right so they pull heroic exploits of their ancestors uh histories of victory uh to to empower them you know when they when they're using it for for combat for fighting right they obviously they have plenty of non-combat applications too but they pull that uh, and it acts as a shield and a weapon, so they don't necessarily need to physically interact with with the with the mycoids and be exposed to spores. Um, they can keep telling the story of their victory over them and and manifest it in in you know otherwise hand to hand combat. And be able to and be able to build too. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Like be able to have a habitation and and mm-hmm. and have a living and be just fearsome. Yeah. I really like the Malamet. In that context, but back to the Michael Tyrant, I yeah. was thinking that the Michael Tyrant really might just develop a love of the knowledge mm-hmm. that it's trying to consume. Mm-hmm. I wonder if if we extrapolated that intent. Yeah. It's not exactly like Phyrexia, because Phyrexia wants to not exactly homogenize. It's not it, it it's it's anthropic, but it's not unstoppable. Yeah. And it's not unreasonable. It's yeah, Phyrexia like, has. Oh, sorry. Go. Oh, sorry. Uh, I was going to say it's almost like an alien that is has like discovered that there's other species yeah. and is just mm-hmm. curiously trying to figure out like what there is. And so, how far would you take that to find that knowledge? Um, you see a face, you see a a character, but unlike unlike the rest of the the factions in the Lost Caverns of Ixalan. That's just an interface. Yeah. You're not interacting with a brain yeah. or a person. And they are not feeling what they are showing. Mm-hmm. That was probably the scariest part, right? Is that they don't feel anything. No. And so when they're fighting and uh, Malcolm at one point, you know, has to chop the di- the microwave dino- dinos mm-hmm. into little bits to get them to stop. That's so scary, right? Because it does feel very like zombie-like yeah. in the sense that like you're gonna hit it and it's gonna keep coming at you, which is just, I mean, really like the tone of all of that was just so incredible. Just being down in that ima- like really truly imagining like being in a dark cave with like cenotes with like mm-hmm. God knows what lurking in them. Like it just it set the tone up so much for that scene to be so horrifying. <laughs> 
Oh man, I felt so bad for Malcolm the whole story yes. through. I'm like, this guy cannot catch a break. There's, yeah, there's there's a there's a um, the story lead uh, Roy and I have a have a running thing of at least one character has to have their sort of uncut gem style uh, stumbling through the increasingly stressful situations until they ideally make it out alive or not. <laughs> in, in or they <laughs> at least they make it out happy. Yeah, 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 intact. Right. <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> and and breaches gets his big boom breaches gets his big the, boom yeah yeah uh, <laughs> that made me happy so i want to um i want to continue talking about villain because we cannot talk about villains without talking about aklazots um and and so uh seeing aklazots in this story was just i, I think i think aklazots was the one to give me chills um on on seeing him burst free from his prison um and and become very very powerful and he still is mm-hmm. um and that's and i think that's a that's a significant piece about aklazat's story is that it's not over um i think i'm interested to hear about what sort of things you tapped into to inspire you to create a character like aklazat's um what brought him to life and how do we see him evolving from here? You know, mm-hmm. it's it's like it, it seems like Aklazots is going to be an incredible force to contend with in on on Ixalan in the future. So I'm I'm kind of curious as to as to where your thoughts were when creating some uh, someone like like Aklazots, um and and where we're gonna go forward. Well, sure. I just have to say I remember one of the cards we didn't we never made that as a card. But I love the moment. Um, God's coming home. Mm-hmm. Aklosot's in the ship, mm-hmm. hiding away. Like yeah, we did back. Do that. I remember. We I did not to get see, to do that. Wanted to see the eye like looming out of a sort of a yeah. moonlit ship's hold or something like that. Yeah. yeah, yeah. We never got to do that, but I love that image. Another iconic like visual moment in the story. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 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 yeah. Maybe Exelon Three. We get to do that. Yeah. <laughs> um so Aklazots was present in the in the original one, right? Uh I forget the exact name of the card. I think it's Temple of and then uh Argyll's Blood, Blood Feast. Fast. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Blood Fast, yeah. Yeah. Uh so we see like sort of um you know, I'll, I'll let a video handle the art side. All I'll say is like, we got to redesign him to a degree, right? Like we had a, a sort of a vision of what he could look like, but then we're able to redesign him to, to, to sort of fit what we wanted the, 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 the body of, of this deity to look like. Right. Um, Aklazots is, I think a great villain and can, can stand among the great villains of magic and certainly will the next time we see him. Um, I think, what is interesting to me about Aklazots as a character is that he experiences peril and that he attained godhood. At one point, he was the hero of the story. He is the last surviving member of the entirety of creation before the, the current age, the, the fifth age, um, began, right? Um, through a sort of a singular will to survive um he persisted beyond death uh, killed <laughs> and wore a god uh sort of a um a god skin right and ascended himself to godhood right he has has become villainous through and this is sort of in in strong con- contrast to you know the 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 old tech and one of the things that we really wanted to, to drive home in the creation of Aklazat's character his fear of that transitional state of death is something that has led him to become a villain and inflicts like great and terrible pain upon others because of his sort of like ultimately quite selfish, like almost solipsism, right? The, to a degree, he may be right. Again, he is, he's the end. He is the last surviving member of, of, of an entire age before this one. Right. I think that's an incredibly compelling character. I think we, we got to see some, yeah. uh, it makes an incredibly compelling villain too. Uh, now we got to see some of him. It's my intent that in in Exelon three, uh, that ship has not yet sunk and it is bound for Torazon. And many many interesting things can happen. That's terrifying. He will only grow. <laughs> he will only grow in power. Yeah. We see a little preview mm-hmm. of his previous form on the temple. Yeah. Based on Washak uh, Lahum Uba Kawil, which is eighteen rabbit from the Stella 
Stella 8 in Copang. Uh, uh, Steve designed Aklasot's mm-hmm. proper, his current form, like the gigantic form. And for the card, he did that little Stella where like the face is waking up. And this, this, yeah. it, it, it's this great regal figure, both sides. Yeah. You know, yeah. Like, there's, there's no mixing things up. Aklasot's is on the way to that greatness that he always believes he's had. Yeah. Because he cannot be anything else. Um, but this is a true villain here. Yeah. For sure. The, oh, yeah. The, the, talking about the Michael Tyrant mm-hmm. and about the Malamet. Yeah. This is yeah. a real, this is a real deal. This yeah. this is really like, if he had a mustache, he would really <laughs> twirl it, you know? Well, he was trying to corrupt my girl Amalia the whole time, mm-hmm. so... We know he's very manipulative. We know he um, he's very scary. Like Natalie said, like he's definitely the one to give you chills in the story. And um, we love a complex baddie. So I really I really enjoyed Aquazats. And for in favor of the story, I'll say that this this story was very much about complex historical reconciliation, Mm -hmm. about individual versus collective values. Yeah. Um, that's stuff that Miguel, you and I have talked about a lot, yeah, uh, like socially. I mean, uh, but but also it's it's a theme in your work. You you have that that subjective point of view. You're able to put yourself in the mind of any character, and you you can build up. You've built up Pixelon in this way that's just like interactive and complicated and so on. Mm-hmm. Historically, so like the history, yeah. The history of Ixalan, it's it, it's it's breathing. It's probably the best I've read in in most like one of the best things I've read in world building. Um, <laughs> Thank you. So I'm blushing. <laughs> <laughs> no, you know, you know you're good. Um you, you know you're good. But a glasot here is is a clean razor that cuts through that complexity because yeah. he is as single minded as Vito. One of the things that we talked about at the end of the season was that in the epilogue, in Pawns, mm-hmm. everything that happened, all these best laid plans are made before Aklazots escapes, yeah. <laughs> before the Myco Tyrant escapes. And so I'm really curious, speaking on that, like that singularity, mm-hmm. that that razor cutting through, I am so curious to see what that's going to mean for those best laid plans and how far they'll actually get. Yeah. I likewise, I mean, it was a ton of fun to write that and, and, and a ton of fun to write that knowing that, uh, Sahili is an artificer of, of incredible aptitude. Um, and her creations are beautiful. And also the, the creations that she is a part of, um, of course that couldn't stand, you know, without having two very clear, uh, you know, a razor and a cudgel to 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 cut right through them, right? So, Ixalan is a place that, like, in in doing world building, like, I always want to try and establish a world that the reader can encounter, like, at the moment of change, right? In this one, I cheated a little bit. I think it's it, this this story <laughs> takes place maybe a month before the moment of change, right? Okay. But is uh, is still uh, sorry. This this story, I mean, the the events of Lost Carmen's Exelon and and the and the and the the sort of epilogue story pawns that goes along with it. Um, you know, I always want to try and establish any world that I write, but certainly Exelon is one that's like living and breathing before the reader arrives to it and has yeah. um, it, uh, always has roads to follow um, if and when we get to return. I wanted to talk about Sahili and Watley. Um, and these are these are definitely two characters that we get to see again in this season after they were forced apart during the Phyrexian invasion. And uh like I, I'm gonna I'm gonna ask, I'm gonna start with a video. Like, what was it like to design the look and feel of these characters while they're on Ixalan? Um, with all of that context in mind. Especially Sahili, who is in a new yeah. home, essentially, right? And so yeah. she she has kind of an updated vibe. Um, Sahili was an interesting addition. I artistically, it was it was hard to wrap my mind around how she would inhabit the space of Ixalan in her own card. It was easier on I don't know the name of the card. She's with um Watley. They're like writing a dino together. Poetic. You inspire me. Yeah, it's a red card. The, yeah. The, yeah. 
Yes. Yeah, 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 poetic ingenuity. Yeah, I love that card. Having uh, having Sahili inhabit the core in her own card, and having her dino creations happen here. I remember uh, Zoltan made a an, an option, and Cynthia's too did like the, the beginnings of the creation on the Sahili card. Uh, it, it was hard because we had many similar elements on the old tech side but we kept it somehow it stayed its own thing i loved having sahili in as a guest a very welcome family guest um in in my case i'll say there was a lot of inspiration in that intercultural um relationship right uh, both um me and my wife were from different cultures, but but Rachel was welcomed really warmly in in my culture, in my family, and that's where I boarded. That that's where that's the train I rode to to fall in love with with this story element. I love their story, yeah. And and Watley also. I was taking a look at a lot of faces of the people that I've known all my life. You know, it, it's just. Having characters that look like me, it's just very powerful. And having characters of all types, you know, I I'm, I I've known a Caparokti, I've known a Ninti, <laughs> you know, I I've, I've like I remember I was talking about uh that that card where um Caparokti is killing um who was Caparokti killing? Clavileño. Uh, Clavileño, yeah. Yeah, he's killing Clavileño, mm-hmm. but Inti is just dead. And and we were talking about that com- because mm-hmm. Caparocti is villainous, you know, like uh, yeah, so he, he's yeah. A, he's a grabber, and he he's he's villainous. He 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 bites, but in this scene he's crying, even though he's performing a great feat of strength, killing right. Clavileño. He's he's weeping for Inti. So that having that dimensionality, and then you, we have Watley who is like completely heroic values oriented mm-hmm. right yes. not goal oriented that's something that Watley and Waita do have in common yeah. that 100% they they get hung mm-hmm. on the process they care a lot about the way things are done right and 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 Watley shows that out of everyone like we talked about Aklasos cutting through everything mm-hmm. Watley also cuts through everything she very true to herself yes. as well in a different way than Waita, but still very true to herself, very true to her values and to her identity. She has so much honor and yes. it's it really makes it hard for people who oppose her to knock her down because she's just always so honorable. You don't catch Watley making a mistake because she genuinely believes in those values mm-hmm. and she lives them in a really beautiful way. I I I said on the podcast this season, I could read a hundred stories about Watley and I never get tired of it. I just love that character so much. Okay. So I wanted to ask a couple rapid fire questions just to like get your answer really quickly. Um, don't think about it too hard. Just first thing that pops into your head. Um, I'm going to ask you both this, the questions, but feel free to, whoever wants to answer first, go ahead. But my first question is, who is your favorite character to design and why is it Admiral Brass? <laughs> uh okay on the character side admiral brass is great my i have a a handful of favorite characters um i really liked Vito. uh i love uh waita and um uh, it's uh, it's so hard every character that was in pawns (laughs) was one of my favorite to write uh uh, it was uh they were they're all they're all missiles fired towards an uncertain future that they're trying to write it's a ton of fun Seeing Saint Alenda was really cool. Yeah, Ohertak, yeah, and Saint Alenda as well. Mm-hmm. Ohertak, it was just to me, it was a summarization of the values and aesthetics of the core. Mm-hmm. And because you see, Ohertak has nested heads, right? It has an external head for the surface, a jaguar head for the for the cave for the caverns, giving honor to who actually should rule the caverns. Mm-hmm. And then a human face at the center, uh, the the face of an indigenous woman, uh, with the textiles and it 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 
also illustrates Chimil, right? Like the cosmium at the center, the power at the center. It's just such a beautiful depiction mm -hmm. of how Ixalan is fully... Now we get to fully understand Ixalan as a plane and how it's nested and how it's uh, the geography. I remember talking about the map I made for it mm -hmm. so people would understand it was so hard to get that right and everything. And uh, it's associated with that card. Remember, I, I, I still I, ha I still have to talk to Piotr to get a playmat or something of the core. Yeah. You know, like the, the, just a big mm -hmm. core where you see the, the whole thing. Yeah. So Ogertak for me was the favorite. I also love textiles. Mm -hmm. So, and this is where we, yes. <laughs> where we really got to use that. In the, uh, in the world guide as well. Oh. Yeah. I, I really enjoyed learning about what a kipu is. I didn't know that before I listened to, I read the story and mm -hmm. um, I listened to the story. I read the story um, and I just loved how I ended up doing a little bit of research on it. And I just loved how the beads make the pattern in the, they open the door and just the way everything is like so connected and so important. And like that, it just made sense that they would record that on a kipu and it felt so authentic. And so seeing all of those textiles, just, man, it just like, Something about soft goods just brings worlds to life, right? Mm -hmm. Like there's something about it that adds such a level of coziness. And I think that's that to me, like of all the planes that we, you know, obviously we can't visit them really, but if we could visit planes in the multiverse, I can easily say I would be so happy to go to Ixalan and just experience that, that beautiful culture and see all the beautiful colors and, um, see Cosmium in person because I feel like Cosmium is just one of the coolest pieces of the set. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so speaking of Cosmium, I'm going to ask a really difficult question, like really hard question, rapid fire. What aspect of the core is your favorite? <laughs> uh, aspect? I, I want to go to um, Otaklan. I want to go to the capital, the, the Altec, and, uh, yeah. and, and spend some time there. And it seems like a great place to be. Yeah, oh, yeah. Constantine Mahan did that mm -hmm. that beautiful piece it's cliff top re retreat right i think so yeah it it was it, it just like blows up the whole civilization mm -hmm. just looks shows the whole thing i really like it i remember sending it to jehan and jehan's like who is the genius <laughs> who made this jehan was one of the concept <laughs> artists i loved working on that i as i said i wish we could expand on the malamit yeah and uh, mm -hmm. Oh, another character that I really like, uh, Anim uh, Pakal, Anakal Pakal. Anim Pakal, yeah. yes. Mm -hmm. You mm -hmm. know, I, I got to do the voice. <laughs> <laughs> I got to do the voice for the uh, the audiobook the episode for. That's right. Okay, next rapid fire question. Who would win, Aquazots or the Micah Tyrant? Uh, wait, 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 yeah, wait. Let's yeah. do something fun with that. Okay. Let's count one, two, three, and we say it without agreeing to anything. Okay. okay? One, two, three. Michael Tyrant. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Aklazots cannot die, and, and and the Micro Tyrant has has an endless hunger and also cannot die uh, effectively. So they would just be locked forever in 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 a combat <laughs> until one of them develops like the most apocalyptic existential solution uh, uh, way yeah. of defeating the other. So neither. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone loses when these two fight. Yeah, yeah now, now I just showed my hand. Now you know who my favorite is. Well, you showed your hand. I just flipped over the table, so it's not really fair. <laughs> you, you were playing poker, and I had like um, chess pieces or something like that. Completely different games. I, I played poker. You threw a soccer ball at the table. <laughs> I played the Uno reverse on you right there. <laughs> the very last question. Um, is maybe maybe the most challenging one but i'm 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 curious what was what was the most challenging part about designing the caverns of ixalan um in, in this whole journey what was the most challenging part for you cutting stuff from the world guide the pencils down is always hard oh. for me but this is the one that uh, setting that i just i want to write forever and 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 keep writing so having to cut massive sections of the world guide luckily a number of them ended up in the planeswalkers guide um, which did wind up getting published. Uh, that was the hardest part for me is is figuring out when to stop. For me, it was, and I'm lucky I got to read that all that stuff. Neil, <laughs> apologies. <laughs> no, 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 you don't have to apologize. I loved it. I was just like, this uh, is gonna be a little bit long. Yeah. 
<laughs> Take a weekend. <laughs> it's going to be a little lost. <laughs> yeah. It's going to be hard for artists. Anyway, um, for me, it was uh, very hard integrating the cultural inspirations. From the beginning, I wanted the old tech to be reflective, not just of ancient history, but of current history. And um, to encapsulate the um, sentiment of Pan-American unity and fellowship. But integrating the different mythological and historical inspirations was very hard. And of course, if I were to do it again, I would do some things different. I would change some things. I would take out some things. I would add others. That's just how it is. There's a million ways this could have happened, and it happened the way it did. I'm in love with what we created. I wish I had a chance to make more. I wish I had a chance to I wish I wish I had a chance to learn more or to do it again with what I've learned from what I've done now. So going into three, four thousand years of history, you know, thousands of miles of cities and cultures. It's a it's a complicated tapestry. And we had the one set to do this. I wish we had a bunch of sets. I wish yeah. we could have done yeah a lot but alas that's just how life is you know you don't get that many chances but i do believe happily that miguel and i made the best of it and we both approached it with a very kindred spirit mm -hmm. you know we both got to connect with the cultures that engendered us we both got to connect with the ancestors that we admire and we both got to connect with a history that is very inspiring and learn new things about ourselves and about the peoples we came from. You know, in my case specifically, explore, connect a lot with the stuff I grew up with, but also can see it from a new light, from a lot of new knowledge gained. And, and also the feedback from fans, you know, you, you hear a lot from people. So it's it's just really it's important to say that it's i wish it was more of a work in progress than it is but um i hope we get to go again well i know that natalie and i share that sentiment we hope we get to return to ixalan again it was so amazing reading this story exploring the lost caverns of ixalan this season getting to meet these characters getting to see the absolute stunning art that came out with this set if you have not picked up the Lost Caverns of Ixalan. Go out, get it right now, open a pack. Trust me, it'll totally make your day. It's going to be beautiful. Again, a huge thank you to Miguel and Avidio for joining us on this adventure. We can't get enough of Ixalan, and it was incredible to see the origins behind this story, both internally from our journey here at, at Wizards of the Coast, but also the actual journey of Ixalan out there with, with all of you fans. And that wraps up our journey into the Lost Caverns of Ixalan. I am honestly kind of sad that we're leaving Ixalan, but magic story continues ever onward. There are so many more stories to tell as we look ahead to the future, and our next season takes us back to the plain of Ravnica. And I I love I do love Ravnica. I like I like Ixalan and I really like Ravnica. So I'm very excited to go there. And we haven't really been able to talk about it all that much while it was being totally decimated by a Phyrexianized Vraska a few seasons ago. So it'll be nice to go back and do a little bit more justice there. Uh, no pun intended, Vraska. Sorry. <laughs> all right. We're excited to bring you more stories and content right around the corner. If you like our podcast, do us an immense favor and leave us a review on your favorite podcast platform. It means so much to us to read those reviews. We love hearing from fellow story enthusiasts out there. Thank you so much for listening to us and we'll see you soon. In the meantime, have, have a magical, magical day. day.